0: Glad you could make it out. And uh, hey, let's pray and give this over to the Lord. Lord, thankful to be here this morning. We pray that you teach, we listen through your Holy Spirit, lead, guide, and direct. And we're thankful. Thankful for the ministry at the fair. Thankful for the upcoming ministry opportunities. Let us just represent you in all we do and say in your name. Amen. I thought Karen gave a great testimony. I appreciated that very much. I took two things out of that one, she's a sinner. And two, she is over 50. That's all I took out out of that. So. Everything else went in one ear and out the other. So, (laughs) Proverbs chapter 2. We started our study in uh, Proverbs a couple weeks ago. Proverbs, please remember this, Proverbs is not deep on theology. Proverbs is not deep on end times. Proverbs is a book of daily, practical, godly living. That's why it's such a great book. You guys are going to go to school this week. You guys are going to go to work this week. You're going to be around other believers. You're going to be around a lot of non-believers. How does a Christian be a light in a dark world? Proverbs teaches you that daily, practical, godly living. Great little nuggets that we just take, we hear, we listen, that I hope that we apply into our lives. Now, we started two weeks ago, and we spent a lot of time on verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs one seven: the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I love it that it says that's the beginning. If that's the beginning, that's where we want to begin is understanding the fear of the Lord. And we spent a lot of time two weeks ago. I encourage you to get a copy of the CD, listen to it online. We talked about what does it mean to fear God. It doesn't mean that you tremble in front of him. That is part of it. But it's a holy awe, holy reverence for who God is. And that fear of God changes the way you think, how you make decisions. You fear God in all aspects of your life for his glory. I was reading in Psalms this week, Psalm 147.10. It says, he, meaning God, does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. And that's what we want to do. We want to fear God in all things because we have such an awe and reverence for who God is. And that's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. So we're going to continue on with this idea of wisdom today because this is what Proverbs is. And please remember the way we define wisdom. It's God's way of thinking. You're going to run into a lot of wisdom in this world. You're going to run into a lot of people that have a lot of letters after their name and they're very intelligent. But if we're not doing it from God's perspective, it's not godly wisdom. We want godly wisdom, God's way of thinking. And that comes from fearing the Lord and understanding his word and studying this book. And that's what we're going to do. Now, here's the thing about wisdom. Wisdom is really easy, but it's also really difficult at the same time. It's really easy, but yet it's really difficult. There's a great verse in Proverbs 25. You don't need to turn there. It says, counsel is in the heart of a man is like deep water but a man of understanding will draw it out. So counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. It carries the symbolism of this deep well and you bringing out bucketfuls of water, but it's really bucketfuls of wisdom. That takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of energy. We want God to be like the little magic eight ball. We just go and say, Lord, do you want me to take the job, shake the eight ball? He said, yes, we move on. God said, no, we move on. That's what we want. And if you really study out what it means to seek wisdom in God, the amount of effort it takes is immense. He will give it to you easily, but he's asking effort on your part. Remember what it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, and view the mercies of God that you offer up your body as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. It's a wholly acceptable offering. And it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And then you will be able to understand what God's perfect will is. So God will reveal his will to you when you do what? Give him everything. When you stop and say, Lord, it is you. I literally give you my body as a sacrifice saying, Lord, it is no longer I who live in this world, but you. God says, now I can reveal to you what I want you to do. And not only that, he says, I'll give you wisdom. Wisdom on what path to take. Wisdom on what step to take. And he promises us this. James 1 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, all generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him. God says, ask me and I'll give you wisdom. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So God says, I promise you wisdom. When you are willing to give me your life, I will then lead and guide you. And I promise you wisdom when you are willing to say, Lord, I trust that you will lead me and guide me in all things. Now, let's just be honest for a second. Honestly, we usually just say a quick prayer and move on. Lord, what do you want? Do you want me to take this job? Thanks, Lord. Amen. And then I leave and I go make a list of pros and cons in my own wisdom. I go talk to my wife, and then we make a list of what's best for the family. And then I go talk to all my friends, and I run the numbers, and I like the raise, and I like the days off. And I make the decision in my own wisdom. Or when it comes to picking a career for our lives, we make a decision, well, this is what I've always wanted to do. Yeah, God can give you the desires of your heart, but make sure your heart is lined up with him. So what does the Lord want? So we honestly say a quick prayer, then we kind of move on. What would happen if we'd really do what this says? We would really stop and say, Lord, I'm going to actually fast over this. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to get alone. I'm going to go read. I'm going to shut off the television. I'm going to get away from the computer. And I'm really going to seek you. Because this is that big a deal, Lord. I fear you so much out of all reverence and respect that I want your perfect will for my life. And how could I even imagine making a decision without truly seeking what you want for my life? Why don't we do that? That's too much work. We like the little magic eight ball. you ever studied out in the Old Testament how they used to make decisions? They used to do really one of two things. If you weren't near the high priest, you could cast lots. And you could take a couple different things. You could take, you know, five, six sticks in your hand and make one shorter than the rest. And you could just pull it out randomly and say something in the effect of, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do? And if you pull out the short stick, it could be a yes. Or the high priest had this thing, a breastplate. They called it the ephod. And what it had, it had four rows of, of three Stones, so a total of 12 to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Each one had a different color. But in this ephod, and we don't know exactly how it worked, they had two things called the umum and the thermum, which means lights and perfections. And what would happen is, if you read in the Old Testament, when a king or something needed to know what God's will was, they would call for the high priest, and the high priest would be the ephod, and they would then ask God. And most of the time in the Old Testament, they're asking kind of yes or no questions. Should we attack the Philistines? Well, let's check the ephod. And we don't know, once again, exactly how it works. Some people believe that it kind of lit up. That's why it was called light's and perfection. Some people believe, if you study out in Exodus 28, that it talks about them being put in, that they kind of envision almost like this bag with like a white stone and a black stone. And so should we attack the Philistines, put your hand in the bag, pull out the white stone? The white stone says yes. And we sit there and we say, oh man, can you imagine if that was that simple? You just carry a little bag around with you. Lord, should I take the job? Pull out the stone. White stone says yes, I take the job. Your mom comes to you and says, Could you please fold the laundry? Let me check the E fod. Well, I check it out. Blackstone says, No, Mom. You know, the the problem with that is you don't have a relationship with God, you have a relationship with your bag. See, God doesn't want you to have a relationship with the bag. He wants you to have a relationship with him. And so therefore when you're seeking wisdom, he says, You know what? You'll spend more time with me. You'll pray more, you'll fast more, you'll read more, you'll worship more, and you will really seek me. And that's the whole point of the decision is seeking him, getting to know him deeper and personally. That's what it's all about. And so what happens is, can you imagine if we really walked in the fear of God where we would make every decision that way? We would just be constantly in prayer and in the word and seeking the Lord. We'd be really close to him. And that's what he wants. And that's what blesses us. And so what I see here in wisdom is this. God is saying, I want you to know me deeper. And the way you're going to know me deeper is by spending more time with me. And what is the blessing that we get out of that? Well, let's find out. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Go back to the first verse we mentioned today. Wisdom is like a deep well and a man of understanding will draw it out. The effort that it takes. Romans 12, offering up your body, saying, Lord, I am yours, lead me. James 1, going to God in prayer with an expectation of you will guide me. Look at the effort here. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Receive his words. Listen to what he has to say. Treasure his commands. Treasure it. Incline your ear. Apply your ear to wisdom to listen. Then apply your heart to understanding to do it. Cry out. Like, like, can you imagine if you went into your bedroom and no one's around and really just cried out saying, Lord, I really want your perfect will for my life. Lead me. Guide me. Direct me. Lift up your voice from understanding. Seek. Search as silver or hidden treasure. What would happen if we really looked at this as being gold? Just gold. Just so powerful. And then we'd realize that this is what I need. There was a Monday school a few years ago, and uh, we had a Monday school where we'd come out and the homeschooler kids could come out and we would just do some extra classes that maybe they couldn't get at home and things like that. And we would do a chapel with it. one time I was teaching the chapel. And what I did is I took an envelope and I just put some money in it and I hid it here in the sanctuary. And what I did is I took uh, two of the younger kids that were coming. It was my son, Layden and it was Reagan Winzinger. And they were like four or five years old at the time. And I called them up, and we taught on wisdom being a treasure. And I said, can you imagine if you would treasure this book and the wisdom of God like it was money? And so we taught that, and I said, this is what I've done. I've hidden an envelope in the sanctuary with money in it. I said, Whoever finds it gets it. And I said, here's the deal. Only Layden or Reagan can get it. But we probably had, I don't know, 60, 70 other kids there. And I said, they can help look for it. They went crazy. It was chaos. People were searching, looking, flipping chairs over. It was just utter chaos. Because why? Because somebody said there's an envelope with a little bit of money in it. And if they find it, Reagan and Leighton can have it. Can you imagine if we would look at God's word this way when we woke up in the morning and said, "This, this is treasure, I mean, imagine if someone came to you and said sincerely, not trying to pull your leg or anything, in your backyard, there's the biggest treasure you could ever imagine. I mean, it's just gold and jewels beyond compare. And I promise you it's in your backyard. I don't know where it's at. It's about four foot down. You would dig that backyard up, and you would look. Husbands, you won't pick your socks up off the floor for your wife, but you would go dig your entire backyard up by hand, what would happen if we look at the same way as this? And I, and I really don't think I'm exaggerating it. I really don't. If we would really stop and say this is a screwed up world. And I need wisdom, guidance, and direction on how to live. And it comes through this. So if I do what verses 1 through 4 say. Receive, treasure, incline, apply, cry out, lift up, seek, search. Look at the blessing I get in verse 5. Then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I say I don't get it. Until I do it, and if I'm willing to do verses 1 through 4, I will get understanding of the fear of the Lord, and I will find the knowledge of God. That's the blessing I get out of it. What an amazing blessing that is. Because look what happens, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. Who gives wisdom? The Lord gives wisdom. I'm not saying you can't talk to friends and family members in the body of Christ. We'll read after a while here in Proverbs that wisdom is in the counsel of many. But that is godly wisdom of people seeking the Lord on your behalf and praying and searching. The Lord gives wisdom. Please remember that. It's not wrong to ask for advice and counsel from born-again solid believers that will give you good scriptural counsel. But really be careful who you open up your heart and your mind to for wisdom. Be really careful. It's the Lord that does it. I run into this a lot, and I am not trying to pick, so please don't get upset at me. But I'll have people contact me, and it will be, I don't know, a Tuesday evening late. So here it is, late in the evening, late in the day. They call me up, and they're just all worked up. What's wrong? I got a big thing tomorrow at work. I have to make a decision by tomorrow, and I don't know what to do. So they're calling. Hey, would you pray for wisdom? Hey, what do you think? No, I don't mind praying for wisdom. I think that's great. I think it's biblical. Hey, I'll... Tell you what I think. I'll seek the Lord on your behalf, but my opinion doesn't matter because why? Verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom. But really, what it comes down to is this let's just be honest. How long have we known about this decision? How long have we known about this project at school? How long have we known about this situation? Probably for a few weeks. God gave us a few weeks to pray, to fast, to seek, to just seek the Lord on it. And what we kind of do is do a token little prayer and then at the end say, Lord, okay, now what do you want me to do? No, a well of deep understanding, draw it out. I'm telling you right now, if you've got a decision coming up, put it on your prayer list daily. Seek the Lord regularly, faithfully. Get people praying for you, so that way when the decision comes, you've already sought the Lord in wisdom. I, I got this thing I do uh, one day a week. I fast over a meal, and I fast over a meal for the things that I don't even know are going to happen. Because guess what? Things are going to happen this week that I don't know about, but God knows about them. And according to Jeremiah 33, he's the God of the unknown. He knows things that I don't know. So I'm going to go to the Lord and say, Lord, lead me and guide me. And these situations are going to come up, conversations are going to come up that I don't even know. Give me wisdom. I want to have prayers of preparation. So often in Christianity, we are reactive when really we're supposed to be proactive in praying and seeking the Lord. Lord, give us wisdom. Verse 6. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Whose mouth? God's mouth comes knowledge and understanding. I think it's important at this point to stop real quick and talk about these three words. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. You'll see them a lot in the book of Proverbs. And they're usually used just like that. Verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding, and they sound so similar to each other. This is how I break them down. Wisdom is God's way of thinking. Knowledge is God's way of doing it. Understanding is God's way of applying it. So wisdom is God's way of thinking. So when you're seeking wisdom, you're saying, Lord, what do you think about this? I want your way of thinking. Knowledge then is, okay, Lord, I have your wisdom. How do you want me to do this? And then understanding is, okay, God, how do you want me to apply it? And the reason you see wisdom, knowledge, and understanding always with each other is because you really want all three. What's the good of having wisdom from God if you don't have the understanding of how to apply it? So fine, you got wisdom and you do nothing about it. No, I want the understanding of how to apply it. Or what's the good in being willing to apply God's wisdom, but you never asked Him to give you the wisdom? You want all three together. So His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Verse 7, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of His saints. And just like we were blessed back in verse 5, guess what we're blessed in verse 9? Then... You will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Then I will know what is right, just, and fair, and I'll do the right thing. But that only comes when I seek him. So often we walk in confusion. And Corinthians tells us that God is not a God of confusion. So when I'm walking in confusion, it's not of the Lord. If I ever feel rushed, if I ever feel confused, I just need to get away and pray. Because that is not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is verse 9. Righteousness, justice, equity, every good path. It is what is right, just, and fair. We got this little phrase we use at our home all the time with the boys. Just do the right thing. Pray about what the right thing to do is then do it. You know what the hard part about the right thing is? Sometimes the wrong thing is easier to do. Telling the truth is the right thing. Telling a lie is easier. Being honest and open... And saying, I am wrong is the right thing to do. Covering up your sin and blaming everybody else is a whole lot easier. See, we always think God's will is going to be easy. Sometimes God's will isn't easy. Sometimes not doing God's will is easier. But God's will is always right. And it's always blessed at the end. We do the right thing. Why is the right thing so difficult to do? Because this is a really fallen world we live in. See, now what happens is this. 10 through 22. It'd be great if we could just stop at the end of verse 9. And just look at verse 5 and say, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I love that. Verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Oh, I love that. But this world is really messed up. Verse 10. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. There's our words again, guys. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Wisdom, God's way of thinking. Knowledge, God's way of doing it. Understanding, God's way of applying it. When I have wisdom, knowledge, discretion, and understanding, discretion is just a way to say wise plan, wise choices. Because when I have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, I will have discretion. I will make wise choices and wise plans. When that happens, verse 10, it is pleasant to your soul. There's peace. Boy, we just want peace, don't we? I remember years ago, there was a Wednesday night, and something really rough happened. One of the rougher times out here as a church, being a pastor. And I remember I was driving home, and there wasn't peace in the situation. And I got a stop sign about three-fourths of a mile from my home, and we live out in the country, so there's no cars around most of the time. And so I stopped at that stop sign, and this is something I do. If, if I don't have peace, I don't want to go home just yet. And it's not that... My wife and boys don't care, but they really kind of don't. <laughs> They're happy dad's home. They're happy the husband's home. They don't want me walking in with this chip on my shoulder, depressed and discouraged. And I just want to encourage anybody here, be it dads or moms, you have a commute on the way home. Give it all over to the Lord. When you walk into your home, you can walk into the home in the peace and the joy of the Lord. So I stopped, and here it is. It's late at night. It's about 11 o'clock. I actually can get out of my car, and I, and I stopped and I pray right there. And I say, Lord, I just... I got to let this go. I got to trust you. And I remember looking up at the stars and I'm a big star guy and I just love it with the heavens declare the majesty of God and I just start thinking, okay, Lord, you have these planets in the right orbit. You've got all this taken care of. You can handle this situation. Got in the car, went home, and there was peace. Please note, the situation did not change. The situation was not fixed. The only thing that changed was my perspective on it. The situation was still there. But I had... Knowledge that was pleasant to the soul. God, you're going to work this out. I don't know how, but you're going to work this out. Because you will give wisdom, knowledge, discretion, and understanding. You will do that. And when I seek you, you will lead, you will guide, because you promised me that. And I could walk in peace. Now, once again, why is this so difficult? Because this world is evil. It's just absolutely evil. And what happens is this. I'm trying to go the right path in the Lord... And my flesh and the world wants to pull me down the wrong path. See, verse 12, what does discretion will do? Discretion will preserve you. Wise choices will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. Please stop before we get to verse 12. Look back on your life and look back at the dumbest decisions you've ever made. Were they prayed over? Did you fast over them? Did you seek godly wisdom? Did you stop and crack the Bible open and say, hey, I wonder what the Lord wants? I'm not saying that to pick on you. I'm just saying I'm willing to bet that discretion and understanding, knowledge, and wisdom did not lead you in those decisions. Sin led you in those decisions, just like sin leads me sometimes in my decisions. So what does wisdom tell me to do? Verse 12, to deliver you from the way of evil. There is a way of evil in this world. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. If you know that action, that situation is going to bring you down, stay away from it. I, I talk to people that struggle with drinking and they've come to the conclusion that there's no reason to walk down that one aisle at Walmart. Nothing good comes out of it. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing in that aisle they need. There's nothing in that aisle that they should be around. They just no reason to walk away in it. Stay away from the way of evil. If you know that there's a physical location that brings you down, don't go to it. Don't go near it. Deliver you from that way of evil. Verse 12. From the man who speaks perverse things. You got a coworker, you got a friend, you got somebody that's always speaking perversity. The language out of their mouth, the inappropriateness of it—it's not glorifying God. Wisdom says, "Stay away from them." Verse thirteen: From those who leave the path of uprightness. Please note the wording there in thirteen—they left the path of uprightness. They were on the path of uprightness. Sometimes the dangers are people that call themselves Christians and they're not. Because you say, oh, they're a Christian. I want to be around them. And you realize they're not on the path of uprightness. And so what happens is we're around these people that are Christians in name only. And it's like, yeah, they're really not seeking the Lord. We need to stay away from them. To walks in the way of darkness. Stay away from dark areas that bring you down spiritually. You know what they are. I don't have to sit here and say, you know right now if you would honestly ask yourself. And Psalm 139 says this, search me and try me, O Lord. See if there's any iniquity in me and lead me in the way of everlasting You know, we always pray that before we do communion out here. Lord, reveal to me the areas of darkness that bring me down. And when I get in that area of darkness, I need to stop and say, i got to stay away from this. I have learned in my life that if everybody goes to bed early, I need to go to bed with them. Even if I'm not tired. Even if I'm not tired. Nothing good happens late at night. Nothing good happens. So if all my kids are asleep for some reason, and it's 1030, and Dawn says I'm going to bed, and she goes to bed, and I'm the one left up, I just need to go lay down and go to bed. If I don't, I will start out on a good path. I will start out in the light and I will say, oh, I'm going to watch this teaching. I'm going to listen to this worship song. I'm going to like this. And next thing I know I look at the clock and it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I've spent two hours watching the world's dumbest baseball plays or something like that and it just lost time. I have lost energy and it is nothing edifying good or whatever. It's darkness. I need to stay away from it. Stay away from verse 14, those who rejoice in doing evil delight in the perversity of the wicked. You know some people, they get their kicks out of sin. And the problem is this. The Bible says sin is two things. Sin is enjoyable and it's deceitful. Now sometimes people get upset when I say that sin is enjoyable. That's biblical. That's out of the book of Hebrews where it talks about how sin has a moment of fun. If sin was complete utter pain from the beginning, we wouldn't sinned. There is a brief moment of, I like this, followed by a whole lot of regret. The Bible also says sin is deceitful. And so what happens sometimes is we get around people and situations, and we stop and say, oh, we're just having fun. Well, we got to be careful because, verse 14, we're rejoicing in doing evil and delighting in the perversity of the wicked. Verse 15, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. To deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, forgets the covenant of her God, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So now we need to talk about the immoral woman in 16 through 19. I'm going to tell you right now, and I told the 830 services as well, don't call me, don't text me, don't email me. Every time I teach on the immoral woman, I get comments from you ladies saying I'm not hard enough on the men, okay? So I'm gonna go after the men first, okay? And then I'm coming back to the immoral woman. I'm not getting away from her, okay? I find it fascinating that from the beginning to the end, one of the things that brings down men and women of God is people of the opposite sex. It really is. And we try not to think that this is a big deal or not, but, but it is. And this is something that the enemy has realized over thousands of years. I can use this. The person that wrote the book of Proverbs had 700 wives, 300 concubines. After a 1,000, his flesh was still not satisfied. And that's a thing for men. We've got to be careful with that. I find it fascinating that in the book of Job, Job says, I have made a pact with my eyes that I will not wander to the left or to the right to look at the young maidens. Think about that verse for a second. I have made a pact with my eyes that my eyes will not wander to the left or the right to look at the young maidens. One of the things I pray for is, Lord, give me eyes only for my wife. Now, two things come out of that verse in Job. One, Job was written thousands of years ago. It's one of the oldest books in the Bible, thousands of years ago. What were the young maidens wearing in Job's time? Middle Eastern, they were probably covered from head to toe nothing to even see and what does that show me the flesh will always look for something always look for something number two when job said that job was covered in boils and pain and guess what he still wanted to look at the young maiden that shows the flesh in a man is powerful and men we need to be careful where we let our eyes wander if you are married and you're here today your eyes are only for your wife be careful of the shows, be careful of the computer, be careful of the girls, be careful of everything. You've got to be careful. If you're here today and you're not married, I cannot stress to you enough, walk in purity into the day of your marriage. It's an awful blessing for you. Just walk in purity and stay away from, verse 16, the immoral woman who flatters with her words. Stay away. We talked about last week. Flee youthful lusts. Flee. Run from it. Yeah, I want to be strong enough that I can just say, nope, not tempt. No, I just need to Run. And I'm just going to run because that's the good, biblical, godly thing to do. So, women, I've picked on men, okay? Thank you very much. Now, back to what the Bible says. The Bible says, women, please watch yourself. Because women from a very young age do know the power in how they dress. They know the power of their words. They know they can flatter a man. They know that. There's a power in that. And, and I just tell you, Let's focus on how we dress. Let's focus on how we act. Let's focus on how we speak. Because nobody wants to go down to death. We don't. We want to stay pure in an impure world. And I just encourage just the ladies to do that. To watch what they wear, how they live, how they act. And usually at this time it's the ladies saying, Well, you got to tell the men not to look. I've already told them that. So we're working on both sides here. Let's be the body of Christ that God has called us to be. Because we don't want to fall and stumble in this in any way whatsoever. What do we want to be? We want to be 21. Actually, we have 20. We want to walk in the way of goodness. We want to keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. That's what we want. Verse 20. I want to walk in goodness. I want to walk on the right path. I want to do that. But I tell you, there are so many paths that are not good, that are not righteous. And Proverbs is trying to tell you, walk in wisdom so you stay on the right path. Walk on the good path. A lot of times people come up to me and they'll come up and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. We'll meet in the office, we'll go through it. And they start out by this. And they say, I got a huge problem, a huge situation, I don't know what to do. And so here's the greatest counseling point I could ever tell you. I ask this every time. They'll come and say, Pat, I don't know what to do. I always say, what do you think you should do? And 99 times out of 100, they already know what they're supposed to do. They know what's right. They know what's good. They just don't want to do it. Because it's hard. It's difficult. We're trying to justify a way out. We're trying to justify why I don't want to do it. We're trying to justify walking in unforgiveness. And we're trying to justify walking in vengeance and anger. And let me tell you what they did to me. Okay, And let me tell you what Jesus did for us on the cross. I'm willing to bet if you're here today and you're struggling with whether something's right or wrong, I bet you probably know verse 20 what the way of goodness is. I bet you probably know verse 20 what the path of righteousness is. Verse 21, for the upright will dwell in the land, the upright, the correct, and the blameless will remain in it. Blameless. Some of your translations say the perfect. Please remember it doesn't mean perfect as in sinless. It means that people look at you and say, I can't say anything against you. That's what blameless means. This idea of having integrity. I call it Teflon Christianity. The world wants to look at us and say, oh yeah, well what about this that he does? But they look at us and say, I can't find anything to say against him. That's blameless. That's having integrity. That's being perfect, not sinless, but perfect in that sense of representing Jesus Christ. So I want to have, verse 20, goodness, righteousness. I want to be upright. I want to be blameless. Because why? Verse 22. The wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. Part of the fear of God, there is judgment. There is a God that is just, that is fair, and he loves you. But if we choose to reject his plan of life, judgment does come. And that's why we want to always proclaim. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. That's why we want to preach that truth. The truth that there is a heaven and there is a hell. That is truth. And therefore, the only way to get to heaven is through Christ. I have sin. That sin has to be dealt with. Jesus did. Because why? 22. The wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. I am a wicked, unfaithful sinner. But I have been forgiven in Christ. And the Bible says that my unrighteousness has become righteousness through Jesus Christ. And righteousness just means I've been made right in Jesus. Wisdom teaches me that. Wisdom then says, James, now that you have been saved, walk in that. What does that look like? And that's what the book of Proverbs is going to teach us as we continue to get into it. What does daily, practical, godly living look like in an ungodly world? How do we go out and live it? And that's what we want to do. How do we stay away from the path of evil, the way of the perverse? Wisdom leads us and guides us when we seek him. I'm telling you right now, there's some of you here today that you really are seeking the Lord on something. You need wisdom. God will give it to you. He will give it to you generously, the Bible says. He asks you to expect the answer. He asks you to seek out the answer, just like the deep well of understanding. He asks you to seek him, and he promises you he will give it to you. And we just need to be open to what he has to say. Worship team, if we come forward here for the final song, let's pray this into our lives. Lord, it's good to talk.